Hello and welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is Maureen Spielman. I'm excited for you to be here today. I am joined by Dr. Therese Rowley, an intuitive whom I had met nine years ago for our personal reading. Dr. Rowley founded Accelerated Alignment and partners with both individuals and businesses to address complex challenges. She also provides intuitive insight to parents of intuitively and spiritually gifted children, helping them better understand and practically support their children. Today, we talk about the changing landscape of how kids are showing up and what we can do to support them in their evolution. Join me for this fascinating episode, and I'll see you in the episode. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And today I am already thrilled to be sitting down with Therese Rowley, PhD. She's the CEO of Accelerated Alignment. She's a skilled intuitive healer, speaker, author, and educator. Um, I I couldn't even take all the time to read this bio because it's so long and extensive. And I know that you wear so many hats, but the one that we're going to kind of be delving into today is this idea of your work around providing intuitive insight to parents of intuitively and spiritually gifted children, helping them better understand and practically support the kids. You are also the executive producer of the DVD, The Misdiagnosis of Gifted Children. And you have a book called Mapping a New Reality, Discovering Intuitive Intelligence. And there's a two-part video series on intuition as intelligence that goes with this. Um, So there's a lot of uh, body of work that we can refer to that I always put in the show notes, uh, Dr. Rowley. But I want to say too, that you have your own method called the Rowley Method, for reading and healing in the quantum field. And that's developed from your work, um, facilitating over 12,000 intuitive readings and healings. So really um, a huge thank you and welcome for being here today. Oh, it's an honor, Maureen. Always fun to be with you. Thanks for inviting yeah. me. So fun. You came to me, uh, you just discovered nine years ago. I I thought it was around 10, so it was in the ballpark. And it was when... I had received your name from a friend who said maybe Dr. Rowley would be nice for you to talk to because I was, I had questions about one of my children. And so even nine years ago, I remember going to your office in downtown Chicago. I can, I remember the day clearly. And I sat with you for just a really um, expansive reading about my child. And it gave me, uh, gifts, tools, uh, gifts for me to understand him, tools. It, it was just like, I would say back then, because he was younger, just the, a different lens through which to see him, which I I have 
in so many years, it's always been a touch point for me because I, I have a feeling that children are coming in looking wildly different than they did in the past. And I'm always curious about this conversation and you have so much to say about it. So first, I mean, one of my beginning questions was, and you may start wherever you want, but how did this become an area of interest for you? Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you for asking, because it came in a little bit differently than um, you would think. I wasn't aiming for this whole uh, plate, the, the whole population of kids. What happened is that I was working in business. I was doing large scale change with a lot of leaders and I was always helping them to uh, align their inner world with their outer world. So what, what were they doing at a soul level and how was what was going on in the corporation really prompting their growth in that area? And so sometimes I would do readings for them and I would find that they had stresses. And sometimes I would say, this isn't related to work. And, and a couple of times they said, you know, tell me about your children. And they would start to talk about their children. And then I began to look at the uh, whole energy field of children. And it was quite interesting. Uh, many of them had capacities that were not common among adults. And many of them had diagnoses. And I began to see that some of the diagnoses were related in my book to uh, intuitive intelligence. And so Mm -hmm. that's how I began to get very curious about this uh, area. And I ended up at a conference uh, that was um, for uh, new children. And I don't even know quite how I got there. And I ended up talking to people who were doing a film on the misdiagnosis of gifted children and adults by a guy named Jim Webb, who wrote the book on it. And these guys wanted to actually do a major motion picture on it. And so at the time, and so um, I ended up being an executive director on this uh, misdiagnosis of gifted children. And then I ended up with a license to it. I, I have no idea how that all unfolded because that wasn't where I was going. So this, this area felt like it was it was asking me to go there. And yes. I was not only fascinated, but these children are extraordinary. So I felt honored to be part of it. Oh, wow. I mean, that's a fascinating story of just the, I think you were just saying before we hit record that this spiritual path is laid out before us. And so- that that those doors opened and you went in that direction. And it's a fascinating area to be looking at. um, I think, especially now in 2023, but it reminds me too, that speaking, there's been people tapping into these intelligences or what is happening within children and the gifts that they're here coming with Um, something. Well, I, I, I guess I'll start with the question of how would one know, because the way that's in your bio, so correct me if there's, there's a better way to say this or, but how would one know if you, a child was spiritually or intuitively gifted or there was something there to take a look at? Yeah, well, I think first of all, um, what the children are teaching us now is that um, every one of us has a different way of learning. Uh, and so I'll start there because our entire education system, and Sir Ken Robinson has wonderful videos on this um, on YouTube, um, it, it kills creativity and it talks about the norm as though that's a good thing to strive for. And the norm is the lowest possible bar you can do in life is to try to be normal. That's the lowest possible bar. And yet we're setting it up as the one that, well, because your child isn't normal, 
basically. You've got to do this to get them to be normal. Instead of saying, what if every single child had their own uh, purpose, which they do, and their path to expressing and developing that purpose has nothing to do with the system you've created in the past to try to get people to be normal. So from the start, from the get-go, it's more about the system than it is about the children. We have to follow children because the evolution of the planet is a fact and that every generation should be in a different place because the brain development should be uh, bequeathed. There's um, at Harvard, they did a, uh, they did a, a whole series of experiments on rats where they uh, electrified a maze so that the rats who would ordinarily go towards the uh, light if they did that, they would get electric electric shocks. So they ended up going to the dark and they did this generation after generation. This guy's name was McDougal that did the research. And by the time the 11th generation came, the mice, uh, the, the rats were going specifically to the dark right away. And I could get, a, I probably have that reverse. They usually go to the dark and then they went to the light. In any way, in any case, by the 11th generation, they went opposite of the instinct that they had. Uh because every generation is bequeathing something to the next. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when we get to these generations, not that, not only that, but there's a spiritual evolution. There's a, there's a sort of a, a saying that says the Holy spirit reveals itself through history. In other words, there's a revelation and each generation brings some, some kind of revelation that should not be what we've known before. So these children show up as they should be in evolution. And we say, oh, no, they're not normal, which means I don't feel safe mm -hmm. because that's not how I understand life and what expression and development should look like as a parent or as a school system or as a world. And so I don't have any enabling structures to help them develop. So, so I, I want to start with that because I think the children are showing up to show us what it looks like in the next evolution. And we're just saying, well, that's not okay. You uh -huh. know, and start from there. Right? Yes, yes. Uh to me, this is very powerful and thanks for sharing it. It's a message that as I've, I've heard, okay, like let you even take the process, preface of every individual is, has their unique blueprint and um, reason for being gifts that they have to share. And I think that those, it's, it's a, such a worthy concept to revisit over and over and over again, because you begin to understand it more deeply. Like we might say that sort of like on a topical level, but to really believe it at uh, almost like in a, a place of embodiment, like, okay, are we really going to hold this as truth? Um, it starts to, it, it can hold more promise for kids. If Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I, I, and, yeah. to, and to reinforce to children that they have, every child has a reason for being here. They're called here. They're invited to be themselves and to find out what it is in them that brings them joy. What is it that, that, that they find that, that they can, uh, that inspires them and that almost prompts them to express their greatest joy. That's why they're here. And if every child knows that, then we say, how can we support you in that? That's why I think so many people are homeschooling these days because mm -hmm. the, it, the system is simply inadequate to support the gifts the children come to bring. And the parents are, are wise enough and have the capacity to do that so that the children can be reinforced for their gift and not in an environment that punishes them for having that in a way that's different than the norm, right? right. Or that has, to, that has 
but I, I'm, I'm especially, it, especially, you know, uh, some of these IEPs especially get to me because I think, well, every child needs an IEP. How do you mm-hmm. learn? How do you take a test? I didn't take tests well. I don't know about you, but I, I, I was terrible in test taking. But if you give me an essay, I could get an A every time because I could mm-hmm. say, well, it kind of works this way. And it also can work. I can make arguments for both sides because my brain <laughs> right. actually is synergistic, which is another intelligence that no one measures because IQ is related to rational intelligence, which is one of, as Howard Garner puts it, he, he names 11 intelligences. And now, uh, you know, we have a uh, uh, Goldman, who said uh, emotional intelligence is important. That wasn't even in Howard Garner's list of, uh, hey, it isn't just this, it's all these. And he said, and by the way, emotional intelligence is there. And we've now found out that emotional intelligence is more important to leadership success than than in, in, than uh, academic intelligence, IQ. So if that's the case, then and we're finding out that these things we need to do in life, all of the roles that we have to do are better served by intelligence. We intelligences that we don't even measure in school how in the heck do we keep honoring the system that doesn't measure what we need for the success of the planet, mm-hmm. right? And the mm-hmm. success of our communities. So and I think this is, it's just a, it's a signal to the system to reorganize and to find new ways to support and develop uh, children who have uh, new gifts. And do you feel that um, obviously it was an invitation for a reset of a lot of systems when we went through the pandemic? Have you seen any shift? Like, because I I feel like what you're saying too. I heard you the other day say this the the term, and it can mean one thing. It can mean different things. I'm not sure, but like this worldview, because when you describe a universe where children are fostered from a young age to tap into what is your giftedness, then I see like this population just like it's very it's it's very abundant. It's it's not. I'm I'm wondering do you see a worldview like that? Or what does that worldview look like for you? Right. So we, even in business, we say either there's just one pie with specific um, segments. And when you take mine, I have less, or we see innovation beginning to increase the pie and the size of the pie so that everybody can just have more. So the, the, the current system of education is, is reductive. It's, it's very much about this is what we have. If you don't get it, you're out. This is competition. You're not good enough. If we said everyone, we have, our job is to explore um, what it means to have this gift. And, and then that person gets to expand their gifts and teach the system what else so that there's an expansive universe. And we're re- responding and respecting that. We're responding to that and respecting that. Um, so I, you know, I, I worked with the YW, YMCA, uh, I'm sorry, the YWCA for several years in helping them to move from a nonprofit to a social enterprise. And I worked with a woman named Dory McWhorter, who was the CEO. And it was really about how do we, for example, the per- people that worked with trauma, because they were working with kids who had had great deal of trauma or the parents, and they would get secondary trauma from that counselors. But their job, as they thought about it, was to help this person get back to uh, normal, get back to survivability, right? To get back to the place where they could at least find the ground under them. So what we did is, and I was in a big 200 person workshop on this and I said, but what if your job was to see trauma as leverage for finding someone's essential gifts and connecting them to opportunity? What if trauma is prelude to breakthrough, not for survivability, but for thriving? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the paradigm that I'm talking about back in the education system. What if it was not about getting the right grades to get to the next level, to get to the next level, to get more money, to get to the next level? But what if, and in, in competition with each other, but what if we were teaching each other about what's possible in the creative process in expanding the world? Look at the problems we have, the complex problems we have. These kids are here to, to they have to solve these complex problems or the planet won't exist, yeah. right? Or the planet will, or at least will go down for the count on the planet. So they have to have the freedom to innovate beyond mm-hmm. the known solutions that we have uh, present to us. And if they don't have the freedom or even the capacity within themselves to trust that that's what their job is or that that's what they have the, the license to do because we, we acknowledge that and validate it, then they say, oh, I'm just not good enough. Well, what a waste of life. Mm-hmm. And in other mm-hmm. words, like, how about what, you know, there's all these things we don't even know how to cr- cross disciplinary solutions that are there. We don't even know them, but you will, because we're going to let you explore everything. And we want you to tell us as you explore it, what, what occurs for you, right? So, so that we want to learn from them. They're the leaders for the next generation. We want to foster that and foster that confidence in them that that's what they're here to do. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking, well, I'm I'm going to the public school system right now because so many of us have kids in the public school system. So you're kind of working if you believe in this, which I this is this is my worldview that you're speaking of. And it's giving me more knowledge, more momentum, more energy around it. So I thank you for that, even sort of mid interview, because it's the messages that obviously you have to be a receptor for them, but then it does, um, I'm thinking about like the messages coming into the public schools. Like, where do you see, I want to talk about like some ways to, to help transform, or is it not the, is it not going to the school? Is it working on an individual level, level, working within family systems? How, how do you do your work first and foremost? And then maybe we'll get to some of the other things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think every person, because every person has a specific, um, you know, their creative purpose within them. Some people have an orientation, uh, and I talk about three different levels of orientation, and and one is uniqueness, and that is the reference to oneself, because some people are uh, doing something that's very unique, and they need to feed that so that the world can share it. Let's talk about Monet or Renoir, you know, how do they feed their gifts so we can share in the result of what they do? And then there's the people that are we, and that's more um, you and I, community. I learn through relationships. We talk a lot. There's social aspects. I, I need that. I thrive on it. And then there's people who are unity people who are thinking and asking questions such as what's my what's my mission in the world and how, how can I make the greatest impact? They're not talking about we or I, they're talking about the world and how do I take mm-hmm. care of the world? So everybody has a different orientation. So when it comes to saying, well, what do I do, for example, to influence the, the system that my child is in, you have to be respectful and honor the orientation that you have and not try to do something mm-hmm. that isn't in your, that because that isn't yours to do. If it isn't your joy, it isn't yours to do. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you have a, you know, even this, this collective thing, I remember going to when my daughter is also in public schools and uh, I went to the teacher and I said, well, could we put, my daughter has this going on. Could we find a way to work with uh, lots of different, like we had counselors, we had uh, maybe a teacher involved, we had an administrator and said, what if we set something up that would help all the kids in this sort of way? So I took what I knew was going on for her and I broadened it to understand that a lot of kids at her level might have something similar. So how did, how could we accommodate that? So that's just something that I thought to do. And it did 
well, it was good and it worked, but someone else might just say, help, let me help the teacher understand how my child yes. works. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember telling the, the teacher, my child knows how to be safe because she uses her words a lot. And if she's sometimes, if she's not talking, she doesn't feel safe. So yes. when she talks a lot, it means she's trying to feel safe or she doesn't in that moment and she's working on it. So yes. don't, don't punish her for talking too much. Just mm-hmm. help her find a structure that that's okay in because yes. that'll make her feel safe. So then the, so the teacher has a clue then, right? So whatever we understand about our children, we can help the teacher with, or if, or if we're systems oriented, we can go to the, the principals and start, um, working on other models, which, okay. which I also did bring in other models. Uh, but what I'm doing when I'm reading uh, children is that I'm looking at their energetic matrix. I'm looking at what did they come to do and how are they related to the parents and what's the relationship so that I can elucidate that and help parents see their children differently and therefore serve mm-hmm. them differently. Because the idea is that if I, if, if my child is acting out, for example, and they keep acting out and I'm you know, I'm not in a good place anyway. Um, maybe my spouse and I are not having a good time and I'm trying to be a good mom or a good dad. And I'm, and I'm telling this child, you know, everything's fine. And what, you know, why are you acting out? And I get upset about that. Well, what we don't know is that that child is taking on the unspoken feelings of parents who are not acknowledging to the child what's true. Yes. So the child is experiencing dissonance. The mom mm-hmm. or dad's going, no, everything's fine, honey. And the mm-hmm. child's thinking everything's not fine. And their nervous system is going this. Now there's really something wrong, not only wrong because there's something wrong, but something wrong because mom doesn't know or dad doesn't know there's something wrong. And they're telling me a lie. They can mm-hmm. feel that energetically. So now they're acting out of the unspoken uh, feelings and then yes. they get punished. So, I mean, that just understanding that one from an intuitive standpoint, if I can help someone say, well, here's some words that you might use if you want to consider uh, to talk to your child about what's going on so that they get coherence because child, children respond better to coherence between what they see and what they feel. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then they're a little more settled and then we find words to help them through. Then they don't have to act out of what's not theirs. So yeah. those are, that's just an example. of. I, yeah. That's a, that's a great example. Um, have you seen a shift because that, that um, reminds me of, I'd say one of my children experiences where when it's detected that like the truth isn't being told out loud and there's some suppression of like, oh, everything's fine, that he will he will come and say, no, that's not that's not um, acceptable to me. And he'll be the one stepping into more of an adult role. But Mm -hmm. do you see that with more and more kids that it's almost like as they're breaking through that there's less tolerance for old ways? Well, less, less tolerance for uh, Mm non-truth telling, (laughs) especially if they're old souls. Mm -hmm. Um, My daughter once said, I said, you know, your job is to obey me. You're a kid. She goes, well, she thought about it. She said, I do obey you if I think it's a good idea. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. It's so, so intelligent. <laughs> yeah, they're, they, I mean, they're just like, you You can't. Um, and, and so to respect the wisdom and to say, you know, like to acknowledge, oh, so you feel like that's not true. Tell me about what you think. And just oh, to give them the yep. space to express it instead of saying, well, I know that. But, you know, as I used to say to my my child, when she was like two or three, I'd say, I'm the mama, you're the baby, I'm the boss of you. And she'd say, I'm the mama, you're the baby, I'm the boss of you. And she was like two years old. I'm like, oh, here's what I'm in for. 
<laughs> exactly. And the way yeah. so many of our, us were raised that that didn't really, it took, right. it, it takes a reset. Um, I see this part of the parent in here. And um, if we're, if we're in any sort of system, but I'm thinking because we're talking about kids in the school system that knowing, like, let's say someone were to go to you and get information about their child, then there's that intermediary uh, step where a parent really truly believing in that and bringing it to the system, which we, we may have put almost like hierarchical above us. Like there can feel like fear in that, like a speaking your child's truth, your family's truth, your truth. So that takes, that's also a new sort of, I don't know if you'd call it, it's a way of being, I was going to say, is it an archetype of like this, is this person that's going to stand up for the truth in the, in the parental role as well? Right. I think that's really about uh, understanding as parents that we chose this time in history to come in and be a different kind of advocate for our mm -hmm. child so that the system can eventually evolve. Mm -hmm. And we can do that by acknowledging that, you know, and I said this to a lot of teachers, I wouldn't, I don't even know why, how you can do what you do. You know, I don't even know, you know, how you have the patience to get through it with all that is on your plate. And I need to let you know about my child because, you know, I have to advocate for my child. It's important. So I appreciate everything you're doing. And mm -hmm. we can talk about this, but I need a different strategy for how this is working so that you can acknowledge and honor the work that's being done there. That's honestly being done in another paradigm. Like, and the people in the system are, uh, working according to the system to the very best of their ability. And most mm -hmm. of them are heroes. Mm -hmm. Most of them are heroes that are trying to uh, accommodate differences while being told that there's a system that doesn't honor differences yeah. and they're, and they're working both at the same time. So I really have a huge respect for teachers period. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are teachers where I've said, I've said, yeah, I don't even want my daughter exposed to that mindset right. <laughs> yes I literally said that like yeah no it's not okay for you to say that's my daughter but on the on the main they're all like I think they're 99% heroes and we need to acknowledge that as we yes present well, our side I think that that's right and I, I'm so happy that you gave that sort of um, acknowledgement and appreciation for the heroes the teachers if you had a message for the teachers who are in the classrooms, they're seeing all these different presentations of the kids like coming forward, which I imagine is quite overwhelming. I totally agree with you. I, I know that, that that's not my work to do, but is there a message at this time that you would send to them or a way to look at when you're dealing with this collective of children within a classroom? I can't imagine being uh, put upon, being uh, told that my job is very much about measuring uh, children as they're developing, period. So first of all, that, I don't know how they do that and they do that and they do it well. <clears throat> and they do it with a lot of things that represent <clears throat> both the unfairness of a subjective system as well as, <clears throat> pardon me, people's reaction to it. And so uh, I would say that the teachers are really, it's, it, I, I think of it as nurses, Nurses were the healers, not the doctors, mm -hmm. because they could spend a little time with the patient and they could touch their arm or they could comfort them or they could see what was going on on an emotional level and connect to it. But now they're told they have 10 to 15 minutes per patient and here's the drugs they need to give and don't tell them about that and don't talk to them about that. That's why they're all quitting in droves. 
They didn't come to be pill pushers. They came to be healers. The same thing with teachers. They didn't come to, to get into some standardization so that their the kid could be normal. They came to teach children to develop. They came to, to foster their development. So I would say, you know, that the teachers already have what they have. And it is about they connect with children's hearts. And when they connect with their hearts in the moment, they're trying to give them what they need and help them develop through what they can sense is going on. And most of the teachers um, are doing that. And then they have to be put upon on the system that says, never mind that. What about our measurements? So, and, and granted, there has to be some systemic connection um, to fostering that development. But there's so many alternative schools now that are understanding how to bring children to a better place of, of knowing their gifts and developing them in the process of school that don't have to, to do the same system. So I would just say to teachers, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I get it. You were there to foster the development of our, uh, the growing uh, of our children's development through their heart. And that is what makes you a great teacher. And if you keep focusing it. on that, everything comes from that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful reflection. I, um, that's going to speak to a lot of people. And even for parents in these systems, just to know that about teachers is a great, um, it's great information. I am thinking then how we talked about just as we met last week about the topic, um, how we're also conditioned to look at things, then the, the way a child is coming into the earth being as, and if it doesn't fit the system, it's a disorder. And so we kind of, let's talk about that because I think that there's some gold therein for how we view what we're seeing, a disorder versus a gift. And some of this came as I was, uh, I worked with a pediatrician at one point and sometimes he would just give me a child and say, talk to me about what you see here. And he was also a, a Chinese medicine physician, duly certified. And I would look at the child and say, this isn't about the child, it's about the mother. And the mother's uh, <laughs> and the mother's got this and here's what's going on. And so um, that would be helpful in his helping child. But um, we started to then do, I said, a lot of times I was defining what I saw and I wanted to do a study on this. We presented it to Lurie Children's Hospital, but it didn't quite make it through. But the idea was to say, if I could, di- if I could quote unquote, energetically diagnose the children while he did it medically, um, and he would call something perhaps an ADHD or an ADD according to the symptoms that the child symptoms behaviors that the child was exhibiting. And I would look at him, the child energetically, and we would compare and we would see if there was a critical mass of data that showed there was a parallel between the diagnosis of one kind and the intuitive intelligence of another. So I'll give you an example of this. Children with ADHD are often said to be not able to pay attention uh, for long periods of time that they can't sequence things, that they can't ground, um, and that they're um, hyperactive. And so some of those behaviors um, are, are present in those, in those diagnoses. What I see when I look at many of those children, and I haven't done enough study to say that I have, uh, you know, I'm qualified to say this, but the, but the question, the hypothesis I have about this, that I would love to get into a, a, a legitimate study, is that they have wide open third eyes. So they come in with capacities for clairvoyance, which means clear seeing, which is located in the middle of the two eyes and down from the crown of the head. And the function of the third eye is to see things in neutrality. Now, I'm going to say see the truth in neutrality, to look at something and see the truth in neutrality. But this function comes through pictures, images, symbols, uh, visions, 
dreams. It does not come through sounds. It does not come through feeling. It does not come through knowing. It comes through a picture like a movie without any sound, sometimes without any knowing just the picture. Sometimes you get the impression of the picture and you know. So the other thing that the third eye can do is to see multidimensional realities as opposed to the, the two eyes see physical and the third eye can see multidimensionally. Um, so in quantum physics, particle physics has proven that there's seven uh, realities going on simultaneously. Uh, quantum physics tells us there's at least 11 that they have in their theories for their own math, but particle physics doesn't care. They, the string theory in quantum physics says that it's all connected. The particle physicists are more mathematicians. They couldn't care less about all that nonsense. They want to prove things with math. <clears throat> so those guys put together a math thing and they were the ones that said there's seven dimensional realities they can prove mathematically. So now you're looking at the third eye and you're looking at, well, from quantum physics, at least seven dimensional realities. A child may be brought in and be able to see multidimensional realities through their third eye and their eyes wide open and looking at it. Now, what happens when you look at a picture and you, let's say you're staring at a picture, let's say it's just one picture and you say to somebody, okay, please sequence this picture and tell me what's most important and what's the priority. And you're thinking it's a picture. There's nothing priority. I could say that guy's a priority because I like him or I could say that one's prominent, but is that the one that's supposed to? So kids are so, um, that's, that's a perception that they're having and it's a receptor site for the stimuli that comes in. So their stimuli comes in it may come in just in one picture and they can't sequence it. And people say, what's wrong? You're not normal. You can't, you can't sequence things. Well, they can't sequence it because they're looking through pictures. That's why we started to help children learn things through their particular strength. Even if you don't have my gifts to be able to see that, you can say, my, my child is, let's, and I have a, a, a relative that's, uh, uh, that has this, um, could look at a, a play or a television program video and memorize it the first time through. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely embody it. That's someone with the wide open third eye. Now, when they're looking multidimensionally, there are children, and I've talked to a guy who has a, a, a boy, uh, I think it was a boys school in Canada, uh, and he was at a, a psychic kids conference I went to, and I talked to him, and he's the head of, he started the school, and he says because he was uh, one of the counselors at the school, and the kids would come uh, be given to him, like, here, you've misbehaved, go to the counselor. Mm -hmm. And he would say, why aren't you paying attention? And the kid would say, well, I don't like what's going on in China. Now, these kids, he had like no access to papers or internet at the time or anything. So what do you mean what's going on in China? Well, all of the people are in trouble and they're all doing this. And he would describe it completely. And then, th then he would go do research and find out that in that moment that was going on in China that there was a terrible disruption. It was on the news, blah, blah, blah. This kid didn't know it. So here's this kid having feelings about something that's not even local that he doesn't know about. And he's, and now it's like, why can't you sit still? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. You're not an A student because you can't see. And so they say, he's not paying attention. And I said, oh, he's paying attention in more ways than you have the capacity to do. You have no idea how he's paying attention. That's so it's not whether he's paying attention, it's what he's paying attention to that mm -hmm. we have to be more, um, we have to be more compassionate and uh, astute and discerning about asking, what are you paying attention to? Not that you're not paying attention to me. What yes. is it? That's, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's just an overwhelm that happens because there's so much going on in their receptor site that they can't organize it in a way 
or process it until they're in their 20s, the cerebral cortex doesn't formulate um, that uh, a capacity to sort, look at impacts in the future, look at what might happen until their 20s. Mm-hmm. That's why they say, you know, <laughs> I've heard this one policeman say that uh, 16 year old boys are the dumbest creatures on the planet because they have all this energy, all this strength, all this smarts, but they can't make leaps and look at the consequences. Yeah. So they end up running into things, you know, like, oh, oh, and that means that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's because of it's a great brain capacity. So so um, these children, let's say with that wide open third eye, uh, they're diagnosed with something and then they're given drugs. The drugs will not help them develop that capacity. It will not help them to get better, but it will mask their sensation of the stimuli coming into their receptor site so they don't notice it's coming in. It doesn't stop it from coming in. It just dulls their awareness of it. It's just like taking um, ibuprofen or aspirin. It'll dull your pain, the feeling of pain. The pain's still there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening with with the same thing with the drugs. It'll stop the pain of overwhelm, but it won't stop the, the developmental pathway. It won't help that. So if we could, and there's my uh, bucket list, teach children that that's an intuitive gift and that they have, they can be at choice for how they, the aperture of what they're looking at in their third eye. In other words, if they imagined a third eye in the middle of their head and they imagine there was an eyelid, they close the eyelid and then look at things. And what would that be like? And I do this with students and um, the classes when I teach my method in um, healing in the quantum field and reading um, that you have, you are at choice for what you perceive through your intuitive receptor sites, but not unless you know you have one, that it's a gift and how it works. And then you can have choice, right? So Mm -hmm. if we could teach the kids, oh, you can open it up and you can close it down and let's see what this is. What is that like for you, right? And the basics of that or the basics Mm -hmm. of their energy field where they don't know that they're spreading their energy out inside of an entire room and they're aware of every thought, every feeling that everybody's having and they don't know how to process that. Then they quote unquote act out of it because it's overwhelming, right? And people are like, oh, this kid overwhelmed, give him a drug, you know, like, and and I don't think anybody's parents that cavalier because they're just trying, every parent is just yeah. trying to help their child feel safe and be safe, mm-hmm. right? And be able to even live in this society mm-hmm. where it's all competition with a child that's very amazingly gifted in a way that is not honored. So what yeah. else, what other choice do they have? I, I always say, and sometimes I see, I can see what medication does on a field and I can see that sometimes it's helpful to bridge where they are to where they need to be. Sometimes that just brings a little bit of balance. And sometimes it just completely dulls down, which is why um, I did the, you know, uh, produced with uh, Jen Weigel, the misdiagnosis of gifted children, because children are being diagnosed over the phone in 15 minutes by a physician about here, have a class three drug um, and that'll be fine because you're acting out. And and that is, it's entirely unethical and inappropriate because Mm -hmm. the child, you know, there are, uh, pediatricians who are um, uh, neural, uh, they, they deal with the psychology of the children and they do battery of tests and they may decide at the end of that, that it's helpful for them to, for example, be in a more challenging school. Some are acting out because they're not challenged enough because their IQ is too high for what's being offered to them. And so they're acting out. And then others are, are, are having a, a, a chemistry imbalance based on some of their intuitive intelligence and some other things. So it's a much more mm-hmm. complex time because the children are showing us the evolution and we're kind of between times of where we've been and where we're going. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and they're all over the place. Chaos mm-hmm. precedes order, right? So we're in this chaotic place and all of us need to be just responsible to our own children to sort through what are their gifts 
and yeah. asking the question, mm-hmm. what are their gifts instead of asking the question, what's wrong with them? Mm-hmm. It's right? a great premise. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was, one of my questions, like my sub questions about the medications is that sometimes if a child then reports, and I guess we don't know, but if a child then reports like, oh, I feel better, or I'm more attuned, or there could be like, you're saying like some, some intersectionality, like some bridge, but also can be that this is just a question, but the child's already learning what it takes to be as part of the system. So then there's a misidentification that it's working because it's creating uh, that puzzle piece to fit the current system, the current puzzle. But I mean, they're selling, they're, the kids are smart enough to sell Adderall and Ritalin. They, I mean, they're selling it to each other because yeah. if you're going to pass a test and you have to stay up all night here, I mean, this isn't about their behavior. This is about the system. And yeah. it's a shame that they have to conform to that in order in order to conform to a system that doesn't work anymore, they have to drug themselves. Yeah. How sick is that system? You know, you have to wonder if the medicine belongs for the system instead of for the child. Mm-hmm. It's the system that's sick, not the child. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it is a shame, but we're in, and we're discovering this and the kids will help us with this as they go on. Yeah, I think, I think this gives a lot of um, sort of, uh, I, I'm gonna just call it permission, but an area to explore for parents, because as we're talking about all this too, it's if we were to sit into our intuition as parents of what we know about our child, they probably have like a nice list of this is what I know, but then yeah. it's the, it's the belief system of like, and these are okay. And there's a place for this. And this is also, uh, this can create a beautiful life's path for this, this individual. Yeah. Um, and I've heard people, I've had parents come to me and say, you know, I'm, we're moving to Montana or we're moving to this or that. Why? Because my child is sensitive to the electro, the, the 5G towers that they uh, know are completely toxic to the brain. Yeah. And I always recommend people get safe protection, uh, safe uh, space protection.com products that will um, stop the radiation from hurting mm-hmm. the uh, brains of the children who are sensitive uh, because yeah. all the radiation that comes through uh, computers and that, mm-hmm. you know, when you open your mm-hmm. computers and it says what networks are available, all of the electromagnetic fields yeah. of what's available are already coming at you. Oh, we've never good. in history had this kind of thing on our brains. So we need to have at least some things that help to mitigate that. But yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting time. I like that. That I just want to ask a question around that, how you as an intuitive, a healer, a guide, uh, talk to family, uh, if you do at all about technology and, and the, its role with our children. Yeah, I, I have in specific in specific readings, and sometimes I've done a couple of conferences and uh, for parents. But uh, basically, the idea that a, a it's very interesting because now I see people with one year olds just here's the here's the computer in front of you, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be gone for a bit. That's okay, and I understand as a parent how. 24 seven with a child, you're trying to find something that's, that's doable. Uh, but there are consequences for exposing a child to this, um, a great deal of radiation from these devices, especially before they're two. Um, there are those screens now that they have, <clears throat> pardon me, that go over the, um, computer and there are things on the back of the phones you can put in again, safe space protection, uh, safespaceprotection.com. Um, and I know the woman that started that, uh, and she's an amazing scientist as well as an intuitive. And um, you can put it on the back of the phone and it'll stop the radiation. I see people putting your 
their phone to their ear. Oh, bad idea for the brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I see women putting it right here now, like next to their uh, sports bra. And they've done studies and found breast cancer exactly outlining where they put the phone against their Mm -hmm. breast. Mm -hmm. That's radiation. It's going into the brain. It's going into the body. Their children are being exposed. So separating, like having distance between themselves and the device, putting those um, screens on that stop the radiation or reduce it quite a bit. They're really helpful if you're going to do that. Um, Also with kids, there's so much violence in videos that it's not helpful to their brain is developing either. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and I went into a video store once, and this was before it was so widespread. And I said, is there anything in here that is educational without explicit sex or violence in any way? And the owner of this thing went, and he's looking around the ground. He goes, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I said, these are for kids. Yeah. So when we, we have to go to places like, um, there are places like um, HeartMath. Uh, HeartMath is an institute that uh, helps kids go into alpha brainwave by doing games mm-hmm. and helps them calm down. So you have to research a little bit on conscious products for children. Mm-hmm. So, and then some kids need the weighted blankets and all of that sort of things because they need to feel the skin on them because they're very uh, high vibrating children and they're very sensitive and they need to feel skin on them. So they need to feel something weighted. But as far as technology goes, you know, whatever is helpful on a conscious level that you can mm-hmm. find. And I used to do a lot of research on that and far and few between, but it's growing that area. Okay. I mean, I would even go to Gaia. Um, Gaia has a lot of other resources. I don't know how well they do with children and technology, but it's worth looking at. The 5G towers, if it's near you, absolutely need to save space protection um, for the room that takes the the toxic radiation out of the room. Put it Mm -hmm. in your child's room. Do not let your child have a cell phone next to their bed. Do not let them have a, a television at night. They have to cut it off at a certain time because that really hurts the brain. I mean, they were developing you know, the, the brains are developing and they're trying to accommodate all this radiation all day long. So we have never had in history this experiment yeah. where children are exposed to radiation at this level, this even walking down the street every five minutes, and especially in an urban city setting. Yep. They've already shown the toxicity of 3G towers and other and 5G. They didn't even do the studies because wow. they knew it was toxic and everybody yep. just wanted faster devices. So they didn't mm-hmm. do the study. So Mm-hmm. it's tough to be a parent these days with technology because it it's is. so prevalent, yeah. but mm-hmm. there are ways. So those but are, it, it's, it's good conversation. It's good reminders because in some ways there's so, there's so much concern, but there can also be a numbing out because it's so big. It's so big. And that, but the, there's the radiation piece and then, and then this constant barrage of ideas, images, overload coming at our children too, which I have to assume is not healthy for them. Right. And well, mm-hmm. and this is, they're going to, what's going to happen is they're going to have to adapt. Mm-hmm. It's it's about um, one of the things that's going to happen is resilience and adaptation are the two skills that are going to be necessary for them to survive. Yeah. If they, if they, if we can't help our children pivot and, and we as parents have to say, how does it feel? We keep having to ask the children, how does that feel to you when that happens? Because yes. the children will numb their feelings out a way big time. If they have to be what social media tells them to be, and they can't be that, then they'll isolate. We've mm-hmm. got COVID, they isolated. They've got mm-hmm. their device, they isolate. Mm-hmm. They don't, their relationship goes down. So we can keep saying, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Not what do you think, but how do you feel about that? Yes. When that yeah. happens, what can you tell us about that? Do you think your peers feel the same way about that? 
because yeah. that just helps them to open their heart and ask the question of the, themselves. Of course, most, a lot of kids at a certain age will say, I got to tell you how I feel. <laughs> You're the parent. I got to tell you how I feel. <laughs> but, if, but if you can, anything that you can do to enhance their, uh, when you see your child, you know, when they're happy, you know, mm-hmm. when they expand, you know, when they're, you know, and anything that you can do watching something together where, you know, the point of the movie is touching or, yeah. you know, that you go to do a certain thing and they get delighted. Mm-hmm. Anything you can do to mm-hmm. amplify that in their lives and keep pointing back to it and referring back to it and referring back to it keeps reminding their system that there's a place where joy lives and yes. they can live in that through both memory and recreating it in new ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really a, a core important aspect of reminding themselves that they can come from joy or at least remember to experience it during all this garage. Yeah, there's been um, so many good guidelines that you've set out for this talk today, Therese, as I know something I want to end with. But before we finish up, for everything that we've covered, is there anything that else else that comes to mind for you that we've that we've left out or that's important to say? Uh, okay, one thing I would say is that First of all, parents have to know if you've chosen to be a parent at this time in history, just call yourself a hero, full stop, and then honor yourself for that. And then get to the end of the day and go, you know, I got to the end of my day. I'm going to just, I'm going to invite spirit to just comfort me and to acknowledge my brilliance and having gotten through it. Even if I was out of sorts or I yelled or I did this and I wasn't supposed to hug yourself because you're picking the hardest job on the planet and you're doing the absolute best you can. And it needs to be, no matter what you do, please don't judge yourself. It's a long process and it's a really challenging environment and what a great job, no matter what, honor yourself, Mm -hmm. self-compassion. That would be Mm -hmm. the message for parents. It's so beautiful. Um, That's a, that's a great message. I, I was going to add something onto the end, which is a little, it's something that I've heard you say a couple of times and I really love, and I think it would be beneficial for our listeners, but I've heard you say several times that you grow in the area that you persistently ask questions in. Can you just say something about that? I, I want to hear from you what that means and why it's kind of one of your, it feels like mantras or principles. Yeah, it's a central tenet, and it comes out of appreciative inquiry, which is uh, David Cooper writer created appreciative inquiry as a methodology in the 80s uh, that looks at how we grow from our strength as opposed to looking at what's wrong. And uh, his methodology is really worth uh, looking up. But one of the tenets of his philosophy is that we grow in the direction we most persistently ask questions about. And when we ask persistent questions about what brings me joy or what's the best thing going on in my child or what's the best possible thing that can happen Mm. in this situation, our brain will go, our cerebral cortex goes towards the questions and tries to solve them. Well, if you try to solve questions like where's my joy, you'll continue to find things in your environment that say, Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. If you continue to ask the question, what's wrong, like they do in, you know, the traditional psychology, you'll find out 10 more things that are wrong and you'll just keep Mm -hmm. finding out what's wrong. So Mm -hmm. I say always grow in the direction you most persistently ask questions about and make those questions about what's the best possible uh, outcome, the best possible uh, way I could be in this situation. How's the best possible relationship I can have with my child or Mm -hmm. whatever the, whatever the situation is, keep asking about joy and your brain will bring you there. Yep. And I feel like when we ask that question, knowing that we're divinely supported and in that sort of mission or whatever it is. And it doesn't feel like either 
maybe it's because I'm getting to know you more. It doesn't feel like there's any sort of bypassing of reality in that. It's not like, you know how like the, you can have the like, oh, just think positive thoughts. And the, it's not that. It feels more like a guiding question that like there's a path and it opens up different avenues if we are asking the most resonant question. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a practice. It's a practice like yoga or any other practice you want to do. It's a practice that will continue to shape your path towards that, which is life is life is always inviting us to grow. And it's always inviting us to find our joy in it. Even when it's difficult and sorrowful, we can still say, wow, I get to feel this deeply. And that's a privilege because some, some people can't even know that that's, there's a place of growth here. They just yeah. feel the sorrow. They, they don't know that there's a possibility for growth. Mm-hmm. So what that's a place of gratitude. So what in life, how can we accept the invitation of life to say yes, accept the invitation that it will change and grow and be confusing and confounding and still (laughs) insist that we find our joy in it and ask that question. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful place to end the interview. I want to give you an opportunity to let the listeners know where to find you and um, any upcoming work you have. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, thank you again for, for spending time with Mm -hmm. me. It's been, it's been a really joyful time and I'm um, grateful uh, I'm doing uh, the workshop next Tuesday, uh, pop-up workshop that uh, uh, on intuitively reading energy, and I'm going to focus on some empathic, uh, intuitive empathic skills in that. And uh, uh, on the 21st, I guess this is just this Friday, uh, I'm going to be at the Joao Brothers Art Center. Well, I'll be one of 77 uh, practitioners at the Joao Brothers Art Center that's being presented, and it's called Energy Unlimited. And it's uh, we were interviewed as uh, people who were related to enhancing energy on the planet in whatever way we were. And so there's going to be a grand uh, celebration. It's free. Uh, so look it up, Joao Brothers uh, Art Center. And uh, we're, I'm going to have some classes in the fall on uh, reading and energy in the quantum field and healing. So I okay. hope people will tune into that. And I have my book, Mapping into Reality, uh, Discovering Intuitive Intelligence. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being here. And thanks for the listeners as always. And I'll put you, you gave a lot of references today to both your own work and others work. So I'll put as many as I can in the show notes so people can go and discover what really resonated with them. And um, we'll see the listeners next time. And thank you again, Dr. Raleigh. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, Maureen. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit maureenspielman.com or mysticalsisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.